If you'll take your copy of Scripture and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. And we're going to talk about a word that isn't accepted a lot in the church, not just our church, but in most churches. The word's doubt. That's not a, it's not a word that a lot of people in the church want to talk about or want to admit that they even have doubts. Now, I will say, growing up, I had a lot of doubt. And, and, and I learned kind of quickly in the church that, you know, church isn't a place that you do that. And I was wrong. And so what I want to do as we go through this series is talk about that doubt is a good thing. Doubt is how we grow. It's how we question and we get answers to our questions and we grow. But I came across a, um, a quote, and this was when I was struggling and I was looking to try to find some answers to my doubt. I went and uh, was interacting with Christians online, trying to get some answers to my questions. And I came across this quote, and it stuck with me, and I wanted to share it with you today. Don't know who this is. It was an anonymous poster in this, in this uh, chat room dialogue thing, and this is what they said. I think the hardest thing about doubt is that it's like anything else in the church. It better be done alone, and it better not cause any type of disruption. I've learned you must keep your mouth shut because if you ask questions or you doubt, it proves you don't love Jesus, you are a liar, or you're deceived by Satan. And listen, I, I want to tell you when I read that, it broke my heart because I felt that. And so there's some things that I want to say before we kind of unpack what Jesus thinks about doubt and how Jesus handles our doubt and our questions. Here's some things I want you to hear. First of all, I never want you to feel that way. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not saying I never want you to doubt. That's part of the natural part of Christian faith. Doubt means you're asking questions. Doubt means you want clarification. What I mean is that you feel that the church is not a place for you to come and ask your questions. If you can't be real here and you can't admit these things here, we're doing something wrong. And so I just want to tell you up front, I never want you to feel like that person. I never want you to feel like me at times. I felt the same way. I can't ask questions. I never want you to feel that way. And I want you to hear that you're not alone. Like I've already mentioned, all throughout my Christian walk, I've had doubts. I've had questions. I've had fear. And I felt alone. Because it seemed like the people in my circle and the people in my church never had any of those things. They always seem to have their act together. They always seem to everything to be going okay. And I just, it wasn't that way for me. And so I want you to know if you struggle with your faith, if you have questions, you're not alone. This is the place that you need to be and you don't have to go through this alone. And I also need you to hear that God is big enough to handle your questions. That God is big enough to handle your doubt. He wants you to bring it to him. And so I'm asking you to share. Now, I'm going to share this with you because I, I tell you, I think I was very frustrating as a kid in Sunday school. I've always had questions. And I learned pretty fast in my growing up years that people didn't always want questions, especially in the church. And so my favorite question as a kid, can you guess what it was? Why? It was my favorite question. And so when I'm sitting in Sunday school and they're teaching me things, I'm going to ask, why? Why do we believe that? Why did that happen? What was also a good one? Like, what does Jesus want me to do? 
And what I would hear oftentimes is just cause. Well, that's just what the pastor believes. That's just what I've been taught. And so I learned, don't, don't ask questions. So I need you to hear me say this, that God is big enough to handle your questions. God's big enough to handle your doubts. You, you don't change anything about God when you have doubts or questions. So share them. And if you don't get anything else today, and I think you're going to get a lot, but if you don't get anything else today, hear that and know that I want you to come and ask me questions. There's nothing I love more than people coming with questions and asking questions. Now, I will tell you this to start out with, and you need to know this. If you come and ask me a question, be prepared for me to give you way more information than you ever cared about or wanted. That's just the way that it is. I, I laugh and Heather laughs. We had some college girls at a, another church. We had a small college Bible study and they would ask me questions and 20 minutes later, their eyes glazed over. They were like, we just wanted a yes or no. But here's the thing. Before we get into the passage today, I wanna give you some context so it makes sense. First part of Luke chapter seven, Jesus is out doing his ministry and he is just going on this healing spree. He's doing miraculous, wonderful healings. He heals a centurion's daughter. He doesn't even show up at the house. He just speaks the word and she comes back to life. He's walking out and he sees a funeral passing by. How awesome would this be? There's a funeral passing him by and he walks over and raises the kid from the dead. They're about to go put this kid in the ground. And you have weeping, broken, distraught parents and Jesus walks over and raises him from the dead. And so we have healing after healing and just these wonderful, miraculous things that Jesus is doing. Now, John the Baptist is gonna be our center character today and John's sitting in prison. John's sitting in prison because he spoke against King Herod. In fact, he went really after King Herod pretty hard because Herod killed his brother to take his brother's wife to be his queen. And John went hard on that and said, you know, God, God is not pleased with this. This is wrong. You're a lion. You're a viper. You're, you're this terrible person. And so Herod throws him in jail. And so John's rotting in jail. And while he does that, the same wife that this guy stole, her daughter, comes in one day when Herod has all of his party there with him and she does a strip tease in front of him and gets him so riled up. He says, listen, I'll give you whatever you want up to half of the kingdom. She says, I know exactly what I want. He said, well, what is it? I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. So John is facing down his head, literally being taken off. And he starts to have some questions. Put yourself in his spot. Wouldn't you have some questions? Wouldn't you have some doubts? Jesus is doing all these amazing things everywhere else, but what about me? So we pick up in verse 18. It says, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or are we to, are we to look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. 
He answered and said to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds and about John. And he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I say to you, more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, having not been baptized by John. Then Jesus says, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call out to one another and they say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come and he's eating, drinking and you say, behold, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. As we unpack this today, we got to start with the first question. What causes us to doubt? What are the reasons that doubt comes in our life? I don't know if you've experienced this, but doubt is one of these things that seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't it? It just, it just seems like all of a sudden it begins to seep in and creep into your life. And the next thing you know, you're just drowning in it. You don't see any light. You don't see any way out. You don't see any hope. You don't see any joy. It's just you're consumed. But what causes us to doubt? Well, as we look at John's situation, it's pretty clear. John's sitting in jail and Jesus is out doing his ministry. And so John begins to look and say, well, Jesus seemed to be working in everyone else's life, but his. You ever felt that way? Here's John sitting in prison. And Jesus is out raising the dead, healing the blind, allowing the deaf to hear, allowing the mute to speak, and allowing people who can't walk to walk. He's raising all, doing all these kind of things, and yet I'm stuck in prison. Jesus is working in everybody else's life but mine. When am I going to get my miracle? When am I going to get my healing? When am I going to get delivered? Why them and not me? Maybe he was feeling that his following Jesus hadn't turned out like he thought it would. Has that ever happened? Here's John the Baptist who had been called in the womb to be the messenger, to prepare the way. 
Here's John the Baptist who shows up out of nowhere and begins to preach repentance and baptism. And he just explodes on the scene and everybody wants to be a part of what he's doing. Isn't it funny that we all think that we're going to be the hero in our story? That we think that we're going to be the only ones that everything turns out okay for. We're going to be the only ones who doesn't get through this life scarred or with pain or anything like that. See, the thing we need to see, and I think the thing that John need to recognize is the people that God used the most sometimes got the most scars and the most pain and the most suffering. But here's John sitting in prison. He may have said something to himself like this. God, I don't get it. I've done everything that you've asked. I've given up everything. I've surrendered everything to follow you. And this is what I get. This costs too much. I didn't, I didn't want to pay this high of a price. Maybe John was starting to worry that Jesus had forgotten all about him. You ever been there? Circumstances of your life just get to be more than you can bear. And you start to look around again and you see Jesus working in everybody's life but your own. You see all these amazing things happening in other people's lives but your own. And the doubt begins to creep in and here's what you say. He's forgotten all about me. He's forgotten all about me. What accompanies that is something that we say like this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what I'm going through. I don't deserve what I'm getting right now. I've been faithful. I've been good. You owe me. Now, before we move forward and hear Jesus' answer, I want us to feel this for a minute. Have you experienced any one of these three? This doesn't encounter all the doubt that we look at, but these are three main ones. You ever experienced one of these three? I had the privilege a couple of times in my life where I experienced all three at one time. Where you look around and you say, Jesus is working in everybody else's life but mine. Where you say that, Jesus, I've done all these things. I've followed you. I've given and look at where I'm at. This didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. And then you feel like, well, he's just forgotten me completely. How do we answer that? What do we do? Well, listen, it's hard to avoid the gravitational pull of that kind of doubt. Because it seems so real. It seems so powered. It seems so anchored in truth. But the reality is, it's because we don't really know who God is. But I want you to see something that John does that we don't often do. Verse 19, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one? Or should we look for someone else? You see what John does? What John does that we don't do, John addresses his doubt head on. John addresses his questions head on. He can't go ask Jesus himself, he's locked up. So he calls his disciples together and he says, listen, I have a mission for you. I've got an assignment for you that I want you to do. I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask him, are you the one? Now feel that for just a second. How would you like to be the disciples that were given that mission? That you're gonna to have to go 
and talk to Jesus and ask him a tough question. Even back up from that, how would you feel if the person that you had put your faith and trust in turns to you and says, I've got questions. I've got doubts. Now I've experienced this from both sides, one as a person in the church and one as someone who serves in the church. I've been told very early on, as a pastor, you never let people know that you have questions. You never let people know that you have doubts. You never let people know that you struggle. Here's John, a leader, a teacher. People followed him and yet he owned up to what was going on in his life and said, I've got questions. And here's something I wanna share with you. There's really only two types of leaders in the Christian community. One are leaders who doubt and lie to you about it. Or two, leaders who doubt and are honest. Which one would you rather follow? So John sends these people. <laughs> I'm sure they gotta be thinking, what's Jesus gonna do? They, they'd been taught what happens when you ask questions in the religious community of their day. Let me tell you what happened. You got shut down. You go to the religious leaders of that day and you ask them a question or you question their teaching or you question their authority. And basically what he's doing is questioning, are you God? Are you who you say you are? It's a big question to ask. And so they're afraid that Jesus is gonna do to them what they've seen the Pharisees and the Sadducees do to other people. So they come to him. In verse 20, and they say, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask a question. Are you the expected one? Or should we look for someone else? Now, I want you to feel what happened in the crowd that day, most likely. And, and here's the thing. These guys were so intent on the assignment they'd been given, they decided to interrupt Jesus while he was teaching. Because we find out later that Jesus teaches the crowds after they leave. So there's this huge crowd of people around. Jesus is healing and teaching and ministry. And these guys roll up in the middle of it and don't wait till he has a breath to pause. Don't wait till he does something else. They just roll in. Yo, Jesus, we got a question. And Jesus stops. And then, as I'm sure it would happen to me, probably fear and shame set in on them. Like, everybody's looking at me now. And so I can't, I can't own this question. So what do they do? Uh, John the Baptist has a question. And I want you to feel this. I bet in that moment when they said John the Baptist has a question, there was an audible gasp as all the air in the crowd was sucked out. What? John the Baptist has a question? I wonder what he's going to ask. I mean, what, what, what could John want? And so they ask. Here's what John the Baptist wants to know. Are you the expected one? Or should we wait for somebody else? Could you imagine that moment? as Jesus is standing there in front of all these people who are listening to him and he's healing them and he's giving proof of who he is. And in that moment, here's the attack. Are you him? Now I wanna give you the response that Jesus didn't give 
before I give you the response that Jesus did give. Here's the response that Jesus didn't give. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to come in here and question my authority? Who do you think you are? Oh, I know this is coming from John. I saw this coming. John, that faithless, worthless servant, when he got arrested and threw in jail, I knew he didn't have enough faith. I'm telling you right now, you need to shut up, be quiet, and just believe. Jesus didn't give any of those responses. Let me tell you what Jesus did do. He didn't humiliate. He didn't condemn. And he didn't cast out John or those guys for asking questions. In fact, he tells us in verse 28, this is what he says about John. He says, among women, there's no one been born greater than John. In fact, Jesus, he, he basically says, listen, John is the example that I want you to follow. John is the example that I want you to be like. John asked questions. John cared enough to ask. He didn't humiliate. He didn't condemn. And he didn't cast out. Let me tell you what he did do. He answered John's questions with overwhelming proof. And he'll answer your questions with overwhelming proof. I love these little phrases and things that we get, these little snippets of stuff that the scripture gives us. Check this out. When the men came and they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you. Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Listen, verse 21, at that very moment, at that very hour, at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he gave sight to many who were blind. Do you catch it? Here they come looking for proof and they were literally swimming in proof. They're like, Jesus, we need proof. Excuse me, can you get out of the way? I know you were just healed. I know you were blind a minute ago, but you're, can you get out of my way? I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta ask Jesus a question. I'm having some doubts. Oh, excuse me, you were dead, now alive. I need you to move because I've got some doubts that I need to ask Jesus about. Do, do you see how amazing this is? Like they came and are asking questions and Jesus is like, open up your eyes. Open up your eyes. But he doesn't stop there. He also teaches. So what Jesus does, and I want to read it to you. In verse 22, he answers them. Not only does he show them, but he answers and he says, go and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament because he knew that this would speak to John's disciples and it would speak to John. So he reaches back in the Old Testament, he grabs two prophecies out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 35.5 and Isaiah 61.1. Both of these prophecies are about what's gonna happen when the Messiah comes and how do we know when the Messiah is here? The dead are raised, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the gospel is preached. And he says, listen, if you need help, 
If John needs his question answered, here it is. Now, here's the cool thing in that. In Isaiah 61.1, there's a phrase that Jesus intentionally leaves off. Before the gospel is preached, there's a phrase that says, and those that are captive will be set free. Jesus left that off. Why? Well, Jesus left that off because he wanted to answer one of John's questions that John didn't even know he had. John had expectations of who Jesus should be. John had expectations of what Jesus should do. And here's what Jesus is saying. If I don't fit your expectations, am I still the Messiah? If I don't do what you want me to do, are you gonna just reject all this proof that I've given you? Because I don't fit your expectations? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Too many times our doubt comes because we have expectations of who Jesus is and what Jesus should be doing in our life. And when he doesn't meet those expectations, then we have doubt. And so here's what he's saying to John. John, if you're not delivered, am I still the Messiah? If you're not delivered, is it still worth it to follow me? I think Jesus was reaching back into the Old Testament and pulling out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those three? Daniel chapter three. They had been brought before the king because they would not bow down and worship the king's idol and pray to the king. And the king says, listen, if you'll get on your knees right now, renounce your God, pray to me, I'll let you go. And they say three things. They say, our God, he can deliver. Our God, he will deliver. But if our God chooses not to, we are not going to serve you. How do you put all three of those things together? He can, he will, but he might not. They understood what Jesus was trying to get John to understand and for us to understand. Our God can deliver. He is mighty in power. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, any place that he wants. He has the power to save and he does save. And our God will save. In fact, Jesus had been doing that up to this moment. I am saving. But we have to leave open the possibility that God may choose to save us in another way that we can't even think about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got that. And they said, even if God doesn't pull us out of the fire, he's still gonna save us. This became real in my life with my mom. And you guys know the story. She was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She lived past the time frame that they had given her. And I knew this was coming. I had surrendered to ministry and I'd gone off to college to start my education. And I kept dreading, like, when am I gonna come home and we're gonna have the conversation about healing? When God heals, why God heals, why he chooses to heal some and not others. And so I was home on a Christmas break and she asked me a question and I thought we were about to have that conversation and it went a completely different direction. She said, Michael, do you pray for me to be healed? I said, every day, every day. And she said, well, I want you to stop. 
I was like, yeah, not going to happen. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, I don't want God to take my cancer away and for me to just get sick again and die. She's like, I want to be healed. I want to be taken into the presence of Jesus where there is no sickness where there is no death, where there is no fear, where there is no dying or pain. I want to be healed completely one time. I didn't understand that then. But being in the ministry for 20-something plus years now and sitting a lot on a lot of bedsides at the hospital or before people pass away or standing at the graveside, I've begun to understand what she was talking about and what Jesus was talking about that there is a healing and deliverance greater than anything we could understand. And that healing and deliverance is to be taken from this life into real life in the presence of God. So Jesus uses this as a teaching moment for the crowds. Says that these guys left in verse 24. And then he turns to the crowds. Now I don't know which was more difficult, coming and asking Jesus the question or going back to John with the answer? Because here's the answer that they took back to John. John, we talked to Jesus and here's his answer. He is the one, but you're not getting out. He is the one that you've been waiting for. He is the one that you've been longing for, but your head is still gonna end up on the platter. John, he's the one, but he's gonna set you free in a different way. That'd have been tough news to give. So Jesus answers his question with proof. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach the crowd. Now in the crowd, you had a couple of different groups of people, tax collectors and sinners. Now those don't mean those terms don't mean a whole lot to us today, but you need to understand that in that day, that was the worst and most vulgar insult that you could give to somebody. To call them a tax collector or a sinner. Tax collector was a traitor. Betraying their own people to rob them and take money from them to give to the foreign power that was in government. And sinner Sinner was that term that meant that you could never be right with God. So we had tax collectors and sinners, and then we had Pharisees. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity. He turns to the crowds, and this is what he says. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? Some, some guy dressed in soft clothes who had all the answers that you're looking for? What did you go out to see? A prophet? I love this. Again, it gives us insight into what's happening. So he talks about what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? If you think about who John the Baptist was, John had been called from very early in his life to do things unlike anybody else. John lived in the wilderness or what was called the desert by himself. He dressed in camel hair's clothing. It was not fashionable. It stunk literally. He stunk literally. 
He ate woke locusts and wild honey. His beard was crazy. His hair was crazy. Think about every drawing of the Unabomber. Multiply that by 100, and that's probably what John the Baptist looked like. And then one day, this crazy man pops out of the desert at the Jordan River and begins screaming at people, repent, repent. The day is here. The Messiah is coming. It's time to repent. And those sophisticated people in the city said, you got to see this. There's this crazy dude down by the river screaming at everybody, and I need you to come see it. And so they went out to see the crazy man. This is kind of the epitome of him going viral at the time. And so they showed up to hear the crazy man. But you know what happened? Crazy man made some sense. People began to respond. Jesus says, well, what kind of guy were you looking for when you went out there? You're not looking for the soft man in soft clothing because that's what the religious leaders looked like. They had the fanciest clothing of that day. They had the softest hands of that day because they did nothing. They had all the answers and no answers at all. And he said, so what were you looking for? You definitely weren't looking for somebody to be easy on you because John isn't easy. People would show up to hear the crazy man down by the river and he's like, why are you here? Why? Why are you here? Who told you to escape judgment? Go home. He, he didn't preach an easy message. And he said, but you quickly recognize that he was a prophet. He goes, but I'm here to tell you that he was more than a prophet. That he was the one that the Old Testament prophesied about that would make the way for me. He would be my messenger. He would be Elijah in the spirit. And so Jesus quotes that and says, this is exactly who John is. And here's the funny thing. Everyone in the crowd that day, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, they all had the same questions. They all had the same doubts. And Jesus is putting that on display. He's asking them, why? Why did you go? Why did you go to see him? What were you hoping to find? And the reality is they were hoping to find the answers to their deepest questions. And he's flipping that on. I hope you see what he's doing here and asking them why they went to see John. He's asking them, why are you coming to see me? What do you want to see? Do you want to see me do miracles? Or do you want to hear the truth? And so there were two responses in the crowd that day. The tax collectors and the sinners who are so far from God, who don't listen to God, who have no hope in God. Listen to what it says. Verse 29. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. They began to see Jesus for who he is. They began to understand and they recognized that he was from God and they recognized God's justice in revealing this to them. And then you have the Pharisees. But the Pharisees and the lawmakers rejected God's purpose for them, not having been baptized by John. We have one that recognizes God's purpose, that this is the one 
Like Jesus answered the question, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And he's like, I am and no, you should not. And the crowd rejoice in that and begin to follow in that. The Pharisees do not rejoice in that and they reject it. And then Jesus gives us this little parable of why they did. He said, the Pharisees are like children who go out into the marketplace with their flute and they play their flute and they want people to dance for them and nobody dances. Then they sing a funeral song and they want people to weep and cry and be a part of the funeral song and nobody does. And so the reason that the Pharisees are mad and they reject God's purposes is nobody's playing their game. And here's their game. They want power, authority, and control. They got mad at John. They went out to John. Who are you? Why are you doing this? Who gave you authority to do this? Who are you? And they come to Jesus, everything about his ministry. Who are you? Where did you come from? Who gave you the authority to do that? And Jesus says, the only reason they reject is I don't play their game. I didn't come to Jerusalem and meet with the high priest and ask his permission to heal. I didn't come to ask his permission to raise the dead. I didn't come to ask his permission to preach the gospel. I don't need permission to do what I wanna do. And then he says, not only do they reject him because of that, look at the standards they set. They rejected John at first in verse 33, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. And yet the son of man comes eating and drinking and you say he's a glutton, a drunk and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Can't win, can you? John's too harsh and Jesus is too graceful. They rejected it because this isn't what they wanted. And I want you to see as we close that there's a huge chasm, huge gap between unbelief and doubt. They are not the same thing. So how do we apply this today? What do we learn from this? One, we learn that everyone doubts. You're gonna hear me say this throughout this series as we work through doubt and what it looks like in our life and where God is in our doubt and how we work through and help other people in doubt. Everyone doubts. And what I'm about to say has gotten me in trouble many times when I've said it before and I'll just say it again. If someone tells you that they don't doubt, they're a liar or they're hiding something. In churches that I've seen that go hard on no questions and no doubting, somebody in there is lying. Somebody in there is trying to hide the fact that they're not living the way that they say they do like the Pharisees. So you need to hear that. Everyone doubts. If we took everyone out of the Bible who doubted, there would be no people in the Bible at all. Where this started, I don't know. And maybe you heard this and maybe you didn't. But growing up, I understood that we don't question God. You ever heard that? Don't question God. Well, Jeremiah seemed not seem to got that memo. Jeremiah said, why me, God? I, I, I didn't sign up for this, God. Daniel, Moses, Abraham. Jesus, remember in the garden? Father, are you sure? Is there not any other way? Everyone doubts. <laughs> I had somebody tell me 
they were angry at me for saying that because I was slandering people who don't doubt. And I said, well, if you can prove to me that there's somebody who doesn't doubt, I'll be happy to apologize to them. I'm still waiting. What do we need to learn from this? Jesus welcomes your questions because he is the answer to them. Now check that, you need to hear that. Jesus welcomes your questions because he is the answer. And I, I just wanna share this because it's something that's just very powerful to me. I, I went a long time in my life believing that there are questions within Christianity that can't be answered. And I struggled because I didn't know that there are resources out there to answer all those questions that people say can't be answered. Oh, how could a good and loving God allow evil? Why do bad things happen to good people? Listen, I, I listen to people all the time. And if you listen to people on the internet, if you listen to college professors and you listen to this world, what they're gonna tell you is Christianity has no answers to those questions or any other questions. And it's not because there aren't answers. It's just, they don't wanna look. It's just like the Pharisees, they reject all proof. It's like when an atheist says, there is no proof that God exists. And I'm like, you're here. That seems like proof to me. You're breathing, you think there is a world that is function is completely and totally designed. And I need you to hear me. If you're questioning, you need to know that there are answers. And I want you to come and I'll be happy to point you in the right direction so you can find the answers that you need. So what can we learn? There's a huge difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt runs to Jesus for help. Unbelief rejects help and hides. You see, John, John had doubts and he ran to the right place and he got answers. Doubt asks for clarification. Unbelief rejects all proof. I think of a story where Jesus, we see this beautiful example of asking for clarification. Jesus was with, was with his disciples on the mountain of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. They get to see his glory that he had before creation and they see Moses and Elijah. And they come down, as they start to come down off the mountain, the other disciples had been down off the mountain with a, with a man and his son. They've been trying to cast out a demon all night long and nothing's working. And Jesus comes down off the mountain as he's walking down, this dad who's exasperated, this dad who's broken, this dad who wants his child to be taken care of, runs up to Jesus and here's what he says. If you can do anything, would you do it? And Jesus says, if, all things are possible to those who believe. And here's the money line, this is what the guy says. Lord, I believe help my unbelief. What he's saying there is, I believe, but help my doubt. And you know what Jesus did? He walked right up to his son and healed him and made him whole and gave him back to his father. What did he do? The guy says, I believe, but I need help. And Jesus gave him the help that he needed. See, unbelief is something different than doubt. Doubt's not having all the facts. 
doubt struggling because of circumstances, unbelief rejects and hides from God. So here's the question today. What are you going to do with your doubt? We all have it. We all struggle through it. What are you going to do with it? Maybe you're here today and you've been doubting whether Jesus really can save. That Jesus really is the way. I hope you found proof as he proved today who he is. So here's your offer. Christ is here to answer all your questions. Christ is here to set you free. Christ is here to welcome you in. Are you going to respond? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray that you would help us admit our doubt, to lay that down at your feet, to be made new, to stop running and hiding and come to you. God, we pray that you would move in this moment and help us to say yes. Yes to finding freedom and new life that you offer. Yes to finding freedom to ask questions and unload our doubt. Yes to finding freedom to be who you've called us to be and serve you by being a part of this church family. Whatever it is, help us to say yes. We ask in Jesus' name.